God. So uh, we're in chapter 1. I'm talking about a man called Amos and the time that he was called to preach. Um, One of the the truths about the prophet's ministry is that prophets tend to announce things and oftentimes after they're dead and gone, that doesn't mean the people they were preaching to killed them necessarily, but sometimes that was true too. But I'm pop. But anyway, <laughs> it's an old joke, but true. Um, but um, many times their words are not received during their lifetime. And that's one of the, well, one of the joys and the frustrations of, of uh, prophetic ministry is that you have to have faith to speak the utterance anyway. And I think that's just a good uh, habit to get yourself into and a good mindset to keep yourself inclined to is that whenever you speak the word of God, it's a good thing because his word is truth. His word endures forever. His word will come to pass. There's so many good benefits about, you know, mostly you want to see the word happen is why you say it. You know, it's a choice you make to desire what God has for you. And so it's always good to speak the word, but it's also true that many times the prophecies that are given from the mouth of the prophet are for an appointed time. They're not for right now. And so that was true for Amos. He came from a a place where um, they didn't have a lot of knowledge of uh, false gods. And so you'll find that God will raise up people that he can, can groom himself. Uh, that aren't tainted with religion, that aren't tainted with um, habits and traditions and uh, things contrary and ideas contrary to the word of God. Of course, we all have a carnal mindset when we're first saved, but many times, um, sometimes our backgrounds can be a help to God uh, rather than a hindrance. And so you'll find that many times he will pull prophets like out of nowhere. Uh, people will say about prophets many times, well, who are you? Where'd you come from? And, you know, we don't know about you. And that's always true of what God does. He does things after the counsel of his own will. He doesn't have to ask 15 preachers who sit on a governing board if he can call somebody. He does what he wants to do because he's God. Because he's God. And so when when we find God moving sovereignly, uh, and when we say sovereignly, we mean not according to man's planned agenda. It's usually what it means. God does what he wants to do anyhow uh, through any means he decides to do it. But he does have patterns of, of activity. But the prophet's ministry tends to break every pattern that's ever set in the Bible. It just, you know, you'll see Elijah the Tishbite. Well, what's that? He just pops up out of, you know, he starts preaching. Uh, because God, by his spirit, can move on anybody and can call anybody he wants to. This makes it difficult for people who tend to live by the flesh because if they want to know who you are, they'll try to ask you who you know that they know so they can validate you. Well, you don't need man to validate you. God validates you. Huh? And so many times, you know, it's a lazy way of making spiritual decisions instead of praying yourself, get on your own little rusty knees, get in your Bible, find out what prophet's ministry is all about. See, you know, we get involved in these little 
cults of activity sometimes. You get on the internet and you find somebody you think you like and you start eating their cheese all the time and then you find somebody that they know and you're supposed to like them because they know them and you like them. And so you start eating their cheese instead of trusting God to tell you He broke me of looking for man's validation. I mean, totally. Every time we try to find a connect with somebody, they reject us and kick us out. You know, you just keep going in God. Well, God, did you really call me? Why doesn't anybody, why can't somebody help me? (laughs) Huh? Talking to God, asking him for man's help. How insane. I didn't know it was insane at the time. I thought people had to, you know, pet you and sanction you in order for you to go out and obey God. Mm -hmm. See, the Bible talks about how we validate different offices. See, this is good for all these apostles that pop up on the Internet everywhere. It says the signs of an apostle are validated Confirm with signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Signs and wonders, they don't have mighty deeds. Nobody can tell you what that is. Except the person who's doing them. (laughs) The Bible says, they who know their God shall be mighty and do exploits. Those are feats beyond the human ability to do. So if signs and wonders don't cover everything, then mighty deeds covers the rest of it. You got me? In other words, everything that you do is by the might and power of God's spirit. Huh? You know, I'll say, well, how do you, how do you have two churches in two different cities? Uh, signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. That's a mighty deed. Huh? Because I don't quit. Let me tell you the other thing about people who are really called to God. They don't quit doing what they do. Amen. You just keep doing it because it's in you to do it. I said, you can tell the difference between an apostle or a prophet and a pastor. Because if a pastor don't get a hundred people in a year, he'll quit. He'll go whining on the internet, whining to all his buddies, whining to everybody. Would you like some cheese with that wine? I've never had a hundred people. You understand what, except at a conference or something like that. But do you find me whining about it? I just keep going. I keep doing what I do until God tells me to quit doing what I do. You understand me? You don't quit. You're not looking for numbers to validate you. My ministry is valid whether y'all come or not. You understand what I'm saying? If I just got cockroaches preaching to them. It's valid anyway. You understand what I'm saying? The anointing validates you. Fruit validates you. Huh? Fruit is quality, not quantity. I'm going to say it again. I see a lot of people don't understand what fruit is. Fruit is quality, not quantity. If God called you here to be an apple and you're an apple, that's fruit. What you hiding over there? If God called you, you better not be hiding nothing over there. <laughs> Prophesy. <laughs> no. You understand? If God called you be an orange and you're an orange, that's fruit. 
If God called you, all of you to be something different and you're what he called you to be, that's fruit. But if I try to make you all the same thing, that's not fruit, that's perversion. Nobody's intimidated here. If you go ahead and be what God called you to be, you're going to be that. huh? Just be productive and fruitful in it. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can go out and bear fruit. There's nobody here that's sitting on a pew waiting for somebody to launch them, release them, shotgun them, kick them out, anything like that. It's up to you to go out and bear the fruit. Amen? It's up to you. Nobody's stopping you. And so the, the, the signs of different ministry gift offices are what we judge by. And so Amos was a prophet. By all accounts, he validated that office. And his words have stood the test of time. And so we come to this time where we are receiving his word. The word of God is ageless, timeless. It's always full of power when it's believed. It will always do what God intends for it to do. And so on page 21, he says, when God determines to speak to a generation, he selects a voice. And a language that captivates those who hear it. So he selects a voice and a language that captivates people. For some reason, certain people are drawn to want to hear that. When I say drawn, I mean drawn. You know the difference between drawn and pulled? There's a difference between drawn and pulled. If I go on television and I pay a million dollars every month, I'm pulling you to the, you know, the, because you turn on that TV. And, but if you're drawn, you just come here and say, I was praying God told me to come to this meeting. And, Now catch it now because it ain't coming around again. You can't go to sleep on this and then catch it later. Huh? There's a difference. There's drawing and pulling sometimes in both. You understand what I'm saying? But what we depend on is what we, we validate our ministry through is that people are being drawn by that voice. For purposes that only God knows. And when God connects people together, then he's able to affect his purpose through the drawing. It's the anointing that draws people. It's the power of God that draws people. If there was no anointing, I would have to use something else to get y'all here. Well, denominations do it all. What's a Baptist? Always a Baptist. Huh? So they lock you in to a denominational. That's put into people. So that religious spirit has license to make you stay with that denomination because that's what they. hmm? Denominations do it mostly through unbelief, not through faith. See, if you ever get in faith, you get free to obey God. So they keep you out of faith and locked into their hold to keep you away from God. 
See, it's like we don't believe that here. Well, we don't do that here. We're just seeing there all, all their unbelief is what draws people to them. We don't teach that here. We don't believe that here. It's all the don'ts. Well, you've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Huh? All the don'ts have been nailed to the tree. So you don't live in the don'ts anymore. You live by the faith of the Son of God who died for you because he loved you and, and wants to nurture you and help you and keep you away from the denominational devils. He's freed you up from denominationalism. He's freed you up from being bound to a tradition of men for the rest of your life. He's freed you from death and hell and the grave, which you will find in many churches. So we've been freed up from that traditional hold on us to not be free to use our faith to believe God for certain things. God releases prophets oftentimes to free people up. You no, know, they give you some fresh water and come on now, snap out of it. Huh? Been doped up with the opium of religion. Huh? You know, it took a communist to say that, but it is true. Religion is the opium of the masses. But there is, if, if you think about religion versus relationship, that is true. It keeps people doped up. Hmm? You know, you ever seen them try to get free? They'll come out to a free meeting, and then the denominational devil jumps on them, and they go, they get right back in that pew again here i am daddy brought this pew mama bought this pew and be sitting in this pew so then god in his sovereignty will release a servant of his with a voice he's a merciful god he hates religion just like most free people do He hates it just like they do. And so when you find somebody trying to bind you, you can only believe this. Uh, Even when they preach liberty, you can only believe my liberty. Can't believe somebody else's liberty. You can only believe my brand of liberty. You can tell when somebody's bound because they only teach that message over and over and over again. There's 66 books in the Bible. Now they'll say stuff like, well, God only called me to do this. Oh, no, he didn't. You can't just live out of that all the time. You've got to live in the liberty of Christ Jesus. You can't just live in one doctrine your whole life. Are you kidding me? You add that. You you add to the building blocks. You add to the foundation. You put a, a first floor on your house. You put a kitchen in there. You put a garage. You put a roof on it. (laughs) But God wants us free. He'll use a, a person, give them a message, 
and a voice. A message and a voice, not just a gift. You'll find people like to lean into certain gifts all the time. Because they get attention, they get, you know, what they can get off of it. But if God's going to use you, you have to come with a message. Other than that, you're just mute. You know, especially if you're a prophet. Now, if you're another ministry gift office, you, you don't, you, you have a general message. But if you're a prophet, you're called to, to announce something to the people of God. There's something on God's heart when he called you that he wanted you to announce, you know. And so you announce that in every way possible. Brother Hagen had the message, we all know that, of faith, right? Everybody knows that. I don't care what he would start preaching, he would always come back to that. Well, he stood in the office of prophet, mostly teacher. But he came to announce to the body of Christ that the just shall live by faith. And that faith is nigh you, it's in your mouth, in your heart, the word of God that we speak, the rhema word of God that comes, uh, revelation to you, and it gets embedded in your heart and you begin to speak. That's the word that's working in you. Versus some memorized scripture, which is what people have been accustomed to. They'd hear people quoting uh, the whole book of Genesis from memory. They have no revelation of that. They just memorized it. Amen. Better to memorize that than something else, but it's even better to get it in your heart, hide it in your heart. Let God put it in there for you so that it becomes living word in you, a word that guides your life and a word that helps your life. So I believe everybody should come with a message. If they don't, they'll just diddle around in general land and not really have what God wants them to have. That will will announce what God wants to announce to a generation. I happen to know that if if God can't use leaders, he'll get at least one leader to announce the message and let believers do the rest. And that's what we're going to see in the last move of God. Believers who just hear the word of God and quit uh, looking for somebody to validate them and give them permission to go pray for their neighbor. Now, it sounds stupid to us now, but that's the way denominations have kept people in bondage. You know, only deacon so-and-so can, uh, can pray. You know, uh, only mother so-and-so at five in the morning on Wednesday when nobody wants to come. She's the only one that can pray. I mean, that's tradition, folks. That's why churches go dead. That's why they go cold. Because the cold one runs things so that nobody can come in and get on fire for God. You know, if you'd have prayer when everybody shows up, that whole church would be turned upside down. But they won't do it. So prayer is, is slated for the guillotine, you know. It's, it's not going to live very long. It's not. Not in an atmosphere like that. Now, it sounds kind of silly to us, but that's tradition, folks. You look on anybody's church bulletin and see when prayer is, if they have it. If they have it. Usually it's done by the mean elderly ladies 
you know, which I think that's a bad rap. I, I'm, I'm here to change that. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to be there. Talk about discouraging you. Prayer is so easy. It's right in your mouth. It's in your heart and in your mouth. But religion makes it hard. So then God will raise up messengers who will fight these things, prophesy against them, and begin to release people into the liberty of Christ so that we can obey God and have the joy in serving in the peace and the contentment that Jesus died us for us to have. He wants us to have everything. And so when God looks down and sees things are missing from his total package, then he has to raise up somebody to announce what he wants to do. So he raises people up who have a language that captivates those who hear it. Amos was one of the strangest figures in the Old Testament. In the middle of the ninth century B.C., he suddenly appeared seemingly from nowhere Uttering a word totally rejected at the time. Then just as swiftly he disappeared back into the deserts of Tekoa. God always has scribes to record what's important in his kingdom. Always. I happen to believe that long after I'm gone, you're gone, kids gone from here, what we've done will remain because we have records of what we do. We write books. We don't do anything undercover, ashamed of anything. We have recordings of every single meeting that we've ever had. Why? Because God told us to publish the word, to write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he who sees it can run with it. See, that's not just a scripture to us. That's some, that was instruction from God, what we live by. Huh? If God tells you something, it's important because God said it, not because of who you are. I'll say it again. If God says something, it's important because he said it, not because of who you are. Huh? If we could get that concept straight, we could get, have a lot more productiveness. There are people out writing books now because they sell well and they've got people behind them to help push that and promote that and cause more of it to sell. It's not that they have anything earth shattering to say or anything terribly new to say. It's just that their voice is louder, maybe, than somebody who's saying it in a different tone or a different level. But there, then there are some messages that I would say are crucial or pivotal. And those you can find from ages till now. You'll find people like, people who will, will go for their writings. Somebody like Amy Semple McPherson who lived, it's been over a hundred years ago now almost she's been gone. But people still look for her stuff. Why? Because God spoke it to her and he tells people go and get this because this is important. I want you to understand what I spoke through my servant Amy. Lots of people who have served God over the years, their writings have been preserved. Why? Because they saw fit to make sure they obeyed God in making sure they were written down and that they were preserved. And so we find that God has a way of making sure that his word is preserved from generation to generation to generation. 
His message was a kind of unpleasant truth that is easier to deny than accept. So that's the other thing about the prophet's ministry. See, we, we are hearing kind words mostly from prophets nowadays. You know, God's going to do this and you're going to be blessed and blah, blah, blah. It's just setting you up. Huh? Because if you, 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 if you can hear a word of blessing, you can also hear a word of instruction. You can hear a word of correction. God's never going to put you down. He's always giving you a chance to go further and to do more. But if you're on the wrong road, if somebody loves you, they'll turn you around and get you on the right road so that you can get where you're supposed to be going without being harmed and damaged. And that's what the correction of God does. And that's all it does. But when it falls on the ears of people who like the life they're living in disobedience, then they hate it. Their flesh will hate it. And so he says it was much later that a, a remnant of God's people began to take the message of Amos seriously. Interestingly, his message continues to illuminate the human situation. The words of Amos are like time-release capsules. How many times have we said that about prophecy? There's a time for the release of each word. In a prophecy, there's always something immediate that will stir your faith that you can grab onto. Even though it's for an appointed time, the Bible says, wait for it, it'll surely come to pass. Nobody gives up on the fact that the Lord is coming again for his church. Nobody gives up on the fact that God wants to use believers and empower believers to do the work of the ministry. Nobody gives up on those things. They're timeless and ageless truths. The words of Amos are like time-release capsules that continue to disperse their healing medicine long after they are taken. See? It's like the word. There's something set to go off in the now, something set for an appointed time. And there are some things that really you can grab by faith that you can live out personally in your life. Everybody's fallen into a, a, <clears throat> a sprinkling of all of what God has for the end time. Many people, I've run into more people, I would say in the last six months I've met more people who are talking about the end time harvest and the glory of God. In reality, I'm not talking about a wishy thing or a, something they heard, but it's something that's real to them that they can touch and they can almost almost grab it and pull it because they've had some contact with it. They've had some kind of uh, they've touched into it in some way, some degree. Uh, all of us know that that God does miracles because we've we've had miracle meetings, we've had glory meetings. Where, where you know the, the presence of angels and you know that there are people in churches that people think that's a fable. You understand what I'm saying? And thank God you don't spread it around like that because they talk you out of it. But we know these things are real. You have an imprint in your spirit. Your spirit man records everything that goes on in the realm of the spirit. So there's imprint on the inside of you. There's a record on the inside of you. That this is real and it's tangible because you've touched into it in some degree. Amen. You've gotten your feet. It's like, you know, you, you're, you've, uh, people say, have you ever been to San Diego? 
Uh, no, but I've been to Long Beach. Why? Because I touched my foot in that ocean and that left an imprint on me. So I know where I've been. That's where that was, you see. And so it's the same thing with the things of the spirit. It's like touching your foot into the, the, the shallows of the ocean. But you know there's more ocean out there, right? You have no doubt that there's more. That's the same thing with spiritual things. We touch into them. In a measure, the measure that we experience and, and the measure that we can, can, can appreciate. But you know there's more out there. Ezekiel talked about the, the river coming from the throne of heaven. It ran under the door. And there, the water came ankle deep, then knee deep, waist deep. And then there's rivers to swim in. So we all know there are rivers to swim in yet to come. Where the glory of God will come in in a fullness and it will be appreciated by people who understand and long for it coming. You got me? So you won't miss it because you long for it. You're not somewhere diddling around trying to wait for a, a, some transfer of wealth or something that doesn't really mean anything. When you talk about what means something, man, you know, you mean I can really go out and my neighbor who won't talk to me because I'm a Christian, she'll want to get saved now and get filled with the Spirit and it won't be hard for me to do that. I won't have to sit at home and try to figure out how do I get in a conversation with somebody about something. You mean it'll be that easy? Yeah, it'll be that easy. Huh? Because people in the early church didn't, didn't do that. <laughs> They prayed and they went out and God opened doors. What they carried opened doors for them. You're talking about people in jail and chains dropping off of them. Because God says it's time to get out. He said at the time that Amos said these words, they appeared to accomplish nothing. He was angrily ordered out of Bethel. Told to go back herding his sheep. However, years later, the truth of what he said became apparent and his message proved to be a crucial factor in helping Israel understand God's covenant. So when you're in darkness and you're blinded and you finally this word finally catches up with you because everything he prophesied has come to pass and it's upon you. Somebody says, you know what? I think some years ago I remember my parents saying something about years ago. A.A. Allen had meetings where they would, you know, do, yeah, 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 same thing. We do the same thing they did. They did doing that here. They dug Amos out of the archives. And he was able to bring light to them in their current situation to understand their covenant with God. So they wouldn't give up hope that God would bring this to pass. Amos possessed none of the credentials one would expect for this kind of task. And resulting accomplishments. He was actually a desert shepherd. And one who tended fig trees. Not sheep this time. But fig trees. (laughs) He didn't belong to a family of prominence. Nor to a circle of the power elite in Judah. He came from Tekoa. A desolate region south of Bethlehem. Near the Dead Sea. Which even to this day is virtually uninhabitable. Although Amos lacked conventional credentials, he did have two distinct advantages that shaped him for his unique ministry. One was the fact he and his family had lived in virtual isolation from the rest of Palestine. Your family's broke, 
rejected, poor, oh, you're a good candidate to speak for God. Huh? Didn't have enough to eat when you were growing up. Daddy drunk all the time, couldn't provide. You're a good candidate to. Your credentials and calling card are of God's making. You know, young people just really need to quit being resentful of your upbringing. Older adults need to quit being resentful too. God crafted that for you. Huh? If he didn't craft that for you, you probably wouldn't be sitting here. You'd be a stinking drug addict or dead somewhere like the rest of your buddies that had everything that they wanted. He makes up for it. Trust me. Quit looking back. Start looking forward. The devil makes everybody hate their upbringing. It's like the thing now, folks. <laughs> so his family lived in virtual isolation this meant they had not been contaminated by the contacts with pagan pagan religion so sometimes your rejection and your poverty keep you pure the covenant established by God at Sinai still burned in the hearts and minds of these simple folk Two, Amos had eyes that were unusually observant. With so little to see or hear the desert, the shepherd learned to make note of every moment and every sound. Now, this is true of prophetic people and prophets, period. They live more inside than outside. Huh? I can remember my mother getting angry at me because I didn't want to go out and play with or go outside and be with the other kids or be like the other kids. And I remember I was like, I turned 13 or something like that. And I knew the girls that were my age and older, like my sister's age, were messing around with boys. And I told her that. And oh boy, did hell break out in the house. Ain't Dewey's got mad. Why do you tell mama? I said, she's trying to push me out there like you. And I don't want to be like you. You understand me? At that age, there's something in you that tells you what's right, what's wrong, what you want, what you don't want. I didn't want to be pregnant at 16. I want to go to school and finish school. I had a right to finish school. Boys 16 were drinking and stinking. My daddy stunk and drank. You think I'm going to go out there in that? Are you kidding me? I'm being serious. When a kid is that age, they know. When they're younger, they know. If you've got prophetic kids at home, don't push them out beyond. Don't push them to be like everybody else. Don't push them out of the house. Don't push them, period. Give them Bibles to read. Tell them about God. Pray with them. Do things to fill up their minds with clean spiritual things and let God have them. You understand me? You don't want your kid like everybody else. You want them pushed around and prodded. Got in more trouble trying to be like everybody else. I finally quit. I didn't care how mad my mother got at me. Huh? Sometimes parents are relentless. They have something in their minds that they want you to be. 
And they won't let you be you because they don't understand who you are. But God will protect you and God will help you. You got me? You just take your stand in God the best way you know how. And my telling on Dewey's didn't stop nothing. She's still, <laughs> you understand me? <laughs> I wasn't telling on her. I was defending myself. Huh? I told on her. I said, they smoked. They, and, and Pastor Shirley told too. Uh, <laughs> she and her little running buddy they found out everybody's business they were the blackmail queens I didn't have sense enough to get no money for mine I just told but I wanted them to leave me alone well, but sometimes children when they're small they know they're different they don't you know they don't react to it unless somebody around them around them reacts to it hopefully they fight their way through to be who God wants him to be. So Amos had eyes that were unusually observant. Your prophetic children will have that. They'll have a knowing in them sometimes that other people just don't know. Why? They're spending time with God. They're not, they're not boring, stiff, and, and going to wind up you know, weird. They're going to wind up with God because you're with God. It says, with so little to see or hear in the desert, a shepherd learned to make note of every movement and every sound. His acute power perception was one of Amos's most notable qualities. Coming into Bethel, he didn't miss a single detail. He took it all in. The herdsmen saw rampant inhumanity as the poor were being exploited. A man could be sold into slavery for just a pair of sandals. Amos also observed the lavish extravagance of the rich. This is always a turnoff to God, folks. You understand me? This is always a turnoff to God. He gives wealth so he can do what? Establish his covenant. That's more than you. He wants to establish his covenant in the lives of other people through you. If he could trust you. They were lying around on couches of ivory inlaid with gold. He witnessed them drinking wine, not by the glass, but by the bowl full. Amos acknowledged some of the people had grown large from their unbridled indulgence and referred to them as cows of passion. Oh, come on, Amos. Come on, brother. Just lighten up. (laughs) Anywho. He was greatly perplexed <clears throat> that many would eat to the point of gluttony while the poor were without any food. Now, see, this is a bother to God, folks. This bothers God. Injustice was prevalent because the judges could be bought with a few shekels of silver. No one seemed concerned about their fellow man. When Amos couldn't contain himself any longer, he began to speak with a fresh but stern word from God. Standing tall with a voice that must have sounded like the roar of a lion, Amos declared two things that startled everyone. First, Amos told Israel they were ripe for destruction. No generation wants to hear that. Nobody feels like their sin is that bad. That's just common. To illustrate this point, he utilized an interesting visual image of God standing in their midst with a plumb line. To determine the state of their soundness. And discovering that nothing about them was secure enough to last. Also, Amos referred, Amos also referred to them as a bowl of overripened fruit ready to be thrown out. Overripened fruit. You know what comes to my mind immediately? 
All of our word churches. Gluttons on the word, been packed full of the word and do nothing with it. Huh? Just come and get, I want to get fed. I'm coming to get fed. They buy tapes and books. And walk past the lost, you know, drive by people under the bridge coming to church. Homeless people don't even stop. Got bread sitting back there. You know, you don't know what to do with the bread. Why don't you stop and see if that brother wants some of it? Just put a loaf or two out there when nobody's looking and, you know, believe that God will bring somebody. I mean, there's ways. You don't have to be bold in what you're doing. You can be scared. You can be a chicken. You can be the biggest uh, scared person of, of homeless people that there is and still minister to their needs. You have to have a heart to not go past without doing something. Mind you, this was not the gloomy prediction of a chronic doomsayer. This was a shrink, a shining example of foresight growing out of insight. See, you know, you know right from wrong. You know within yourself that this business of, of killing Christians and, and teaching kids homosexual is right. You know that's not right. You know that's not going to last. You're looking for the time when God will say, this is enough of this. You got me? And we're not haters and we're not anything like that. Don't put a label on the truth. Can't label the truth. It's just true. He said, simply put, they had forgotten their past. Beneath their social problems lay a corrosive soul cancer. When given the opportunity to have a covenant relationship with the one true God over time, they chose to revert to religious ritual and man-made ceremony that at times even incorporated idol worship. God wanted a people who would keep covenant with him. That's all he wants. He wants a people who will worship him. When he called Israel out of Egypt, he said, what did I want you to do? He said, Moses, tell them to let the people go so they can do what? Worship me. He didn't say anything about ritual, building nothing for him, getting on, getting in on TV, on the Internet. He just said, worship me. Bring people to worship me. And worship me. Not dance to music. There's a difference. When God is in the center of things, people worship him. But when, you know, you, you're branding things and uh, we're recording tonight and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You can do some of that, but at some point it takes the worship away from God. believe me or not you know just because you don't say something about it every time you open your mouth it doesn't mean you don't know it's wrong I was watching somebody had a, a video or something on the internet and it was they were saying I like I like this kind of old time, they called it old time religion, but it was just spontaneous worship where some elders or deacons, elderly gentlemen were sitting in the congregation. They began to just sing songs a cappella, you know, one joint to the next. And the anointing of God was just God appreciates that stuff when it's from the heart and you don't have to need an orchestra and you don't need somebody to pump you up and you don't need somebody in jeans and a T-shirt. That is so 60s. I wish they'd get another dress code. 
for the nouveau religious. You know, just because you got on jeans and a t-shirt, that don't make you cool and, and hip and out there and you the cutting edge thing. You're warmed over toast from the 60s. See, that really confuses people. <laughs> they don't know what to what to get up and go go see next, you know. <laughs> he wanted a people who would keep covenant. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. Keep your covenant of worship to him. Not to music, not to a brand, not to a person, not to a personality, but worship him. Can you worship him a cappella? <laughs> Can you worship him without any music? <laughs> I was thinking about that. I said to myself, I said, God, I think I'll start uh, a new series of, of videos, the Bond series. Let's see everybody's, <laughs> see the religion, Bond, James Bond. I didn't do it on purpose. I found I had two sermons that happened to be titles of some of his movies, Mr. Sean Connery, who, I mean, even though he is in his 70s, he is still a fave. <laughs> and who all else they didn't have playing that character, but anyway. But I found the music. To one of them, I put it on the front of the video just to see what people, if they paid any attention. It's so old, they probably, most people don't even know where it came from. But I saw it. So this will confuse some people. This music, where is it coming? Oh, that's not Hillsong. Who is that? That's not Israel. Who is that? That's not, who is that? 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 <laughs> I should put on there, it ain't Hillsong. What you going to do about it? <laughs> I was in a meeting one time, some prophetess, she was just get on a bang on the piano and try to find some people respond to. <laughs> she told me, she said, yeah, I was in this really dead church. I don't know how they got me for the worship leader. She said, they called me and asked me. I went there and, and she said, I sat there and for 40 minutes I tried to find a song those people would move to. And I said, oh, I know what you want to hear. She started playing James Brown. Get up off of that thing and dance so you feel better. Get up. I mean, if they're not going to move, what difference? Are? You played everything spiritual, you know. If they're not going to move, they're not going to move. I think somebody finally recognized and got up and left, but at least she got movement. <laughs> I think the best music is prophetic music anyway. It's not prescribed. It's not orchestrated. It's just find a chord that works and keep plucking at it until we hear God's voice. So he wanted people who would worship him, keep covenant with him. This explains why Amos stood in the temple in Bethel and declared in the name of God, I hate and despise your feasts. <laughs> God was the one who gave them to him. You understand what I'm saying? It can be done with such carnality we make God hate it. 
even though he used to approve of it and anoint it at some point. It is not done with a pure heart and it's not done as unto the Lord and it's not done focusing on God who you depend on. If it's just a ritual, something to get through, to keep going. He hates it. Said, I hate and despise your feasts. Take no delight in your solemn assemblies. You may offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, but I won't accept them. He went further to declare that their offerings of fatted beasts would not be looked upon, nor would they be accepted. Look carefully at these strong words. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I don't want to hear. Oh, my goodness. God doesn't like Israel, he doesn't like Fred, he doesn't like all my faves. What am I going to do? Uh, you can get up there and worship him yourself. You're going to get your heart right before him. You're going to humble yourself before him and just do what he tells you to do so he can touch you and minister to you and help you. He said, I won't even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, put that noise away and get before me like you really want to talk to me. Like you're really talking to me. All of our stuff can be interference between us and God. When God really wants relationship with you and wants to talk to you, he doesn't need you to have any kind of mood music. Huh? Oh, I know it's worship music, but it's mood music. I must say it again. It's mood music. It's no more focused on God. It's focused on you and your feelings. It is. It put you in a certain mood. You were in a mood before you put it in and you put it in and it got you out of that mood and put you in another mood. Now you're so addicted to it you can't even stand the silence. Silence which he wants so he can talk to you. So that's why he told him to put that stuff away. Just stop it. And put on bond. Jim's bond. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to really stop. I'm going to really stop. <laughs> I know I won't. He said, take that stuff away. I want to hear it. And then he says, notice this question. He says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like it. Let, just let righteousness pour out of you. Let justice roll out of you. Let everything that, that comes to your heart and your mind reflect me and reflect my word. Reflect a higher a standard of living that I have for you. He says, notice this question. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for the 40 years you were in the wilderness? Absolutely not. What makes you think they're acceptable to me now unless I order you to do that? Unless your heart's right before me. The Bible says by faith Moses kept the Passover. He didn't do it in a ritual. He did it by faith. Because he believed that God honored it. His heart was right before God. By faith you do everything. I don't care if you are obeying the Mosaic law. you got to believe that it's going to do something for you. It's the same thing with listening to the word. I hear people listen to the word all the time and still sick. 
God said, I said, diligently hearken to my voice, not have it on a background music and background noise. You're not going to get healed like that. I've been in the word. No, you haven't. You've been barely lukewarm in it. Stay in it long enough to get it in you. I don't care what you've been in. Is it in you? That's what God wants to know. God wasn't after their rituals and sacrifices. He wanted relationship. He wanted relationship. I can remember I'd come sometimes, I'd come home, I'd come in the house and I'd be so excited about something I did outside. My husband would say, baby, I don't want to listen to you. Come here and sit down. Huh? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, looking stupid. Really? Let <laughs> me come sit here. You know, but you know what I'm saying. It's like your mind way somewhere else. You got all excited about, well, I want to hear him song. I don't want to hear that. Come here, sit down and talk to me. Turn that off. But God, this is my special worship music that I always put on to touch. You ain't touched me in years. And all married people say I'm guilty. No, I'm I'm messing with you, okay? I don't have time for this. We got to move on. (laughs) Let's go start the bands up, okay? I'm losing it. But it's similar. Very similar. Huh? When your husband says, shut up, I want something else, you shut up, and we'll go to lunch. <laughs> you ain't old enough to hear this. <laughs> I'm old enough to say it, but you ain't old enough to hear it. The conundrum. <laughs> he wanted relationship. 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 This ought to leave us reeling with conviction. That's what it says here. Every chapter in Amos is a proverbial trip to the old woodshed. Huh? Cut it out. But like any father sensitive to his child's needs and driven by a love that is long-suffering, God wouldn't let Amos stop preaching until he offered Israel another chance. With Israel's return to relationship would come an incredible season of promise and prosperity relationship brings listen relationship brings prosperity and not doctrine not somebody's list of what you better do not you better tie to my ministry because it's good soil and you won't get rich no other place don't start that stuff up in amos's face throughout scripture various kinds of seasons are described seasons of grace jubilee restoration even seasons of repentance. Ooh, interesting. That too? Mm-hmm. But this particular season would be enormously different because it would test the very laws of nature. It would challenge the imagination of men and women. The season would energize the faith of the most experienced intercessor. It would be the Amos 9:13 season. Yeah. It's about relationship, folks. It's about relationship. Put away your little idols. The things that you don't want nobody taking away from you. You can tell when God's not in it because people are too defensive about it. They want to fight you about somebody else's rules and regulations that they didn't adopt it. That they don't want to let go of in favor of relationship. But I'm telling you, God's going to strip us of everything, folks. 
<laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He knows what's underneath anyway. He wants you to know he knows it. And you ain't fooling him. Huh? Let's cut it out. And let's get into relationship. Amen. We got to go because we got to get over there before we. Uh, but Father, we thank you. We'll do our quiz when we get back in the offering. Don't eat up your offering. No, I'm messing with you. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Praise God. Um, our friends that are, are first timers here, you're.